Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm gonna send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. I don't know about you, but I'm really confused by the endless amounts of information that are available regarding nutrition. All you have to do is spend a couple of hours reading the heated and the sometimes outright vicious debates about, I don't know, the latest hot Netflix documentary to see that nutritional science is an emotional topic. And I'm frankly just plain tired of the my science is better than your science argument. But luckily, there are a few voices of reason, and one of them is Mark Sisson. Mark is the founder of the blog Mark's Daily Apple, which has hundreds of thousands of daily readers. He is also the founder of The Primal Blueprint. He has developed an entire line of paleo-friendly foods via his Primal Kitchen brand. He is a former world-class endurance athlete, and he's one of the leading voices of the evolutionary health movement. And on top of all this, he's the author of numerous best-selling books, with his latest being The Keto Reset Diet, Reboot Your Metabolism in 21 Days and Burn Fat Forever. In this interview, Mark and I discuss how food specifically affects your energy and your cognitive function, how our standard American diet is killing our creativity, and most importantly, how food choices affect your ability to focus for sustained periods of time. We also chat about why fats get such a bad rap and some of the latest science about fat as it relates to his new keto diet protocol. And now, without further ado, my interview with ancestral health expert and Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson. I'm here today with Mark Sisson, and for all of you that are long, long-time listeners, you remember that I had Mark on the show a couple of years ago, which means that most likely I didn't completely screw it up. So, Mark, I cannot thank you enough for being on the show with me again a second time today. It's totally my pleasure, Zach. Awesome. Well, I've been a big follower of your work for years and years. You were one of the first people that I ever discovered when I kind of was in that dark cave trying to figure out how do I live this life in front of a computer where I'm not getting a ton of activity, I'm not eating very well, I'm getting fast food shoved in my face, there are bowls of M&Ms next to everybody's keyboards, just started doing a search and I just happened upon this site called Mark's Daily Apple. And I found you and I started to dig into some of your information, your research, all of your, your books, all these things. And I said, wow, there's a totally different way of living. And I've had a very, very hard time figuring out what is this show going to be about? Because when you're able to get Mark Sisson behind a microphone, you can talk about anything. But I thought what's really, really important to me today is helping my audience understand how much of an impact the food that you eat can have on your cognitive function, your creativity, and your focus. Because I know that I don't have a lot of people listening that are endurance athletes, and I know that on your show, you have a lot of people listening that are marathon runners, triathletes. There may be a few of those on here, but this is vastly going to be a sedentary lifestyle type audience that does really intense stress 
successful creative work in front of a computer. So I want to talk just kind of about the basics of how different types of food are going to affect cognitive function, focus, creativity, and then we're going to kind of move towards uh, some of the, the latest projects in your latest book because that really connects to all of this. But before we dive right down the rabbit hole, can you kind of give my audience just a super brief overview of who you are and kind of what you're involved with if they've never heard of you before? Sure. I was an endurance athlete back in the 70s and 80s. Actually, going back to before that, the 60s, uh, I had started to be interested at a very early age in uh, longevity and living a healthy life. I mean, it's kind of a geeky 12, 13-year-old reading these books on how to live longer and be healthy. Around that time, the aerobics movement was taking shape, and Ken Cooper had written a book called Aerobics and was positing that the more aerobic activity you did in a lifetime, the longer you'd live, the more your heart would strengthen. And it made sense, I guess, to me. So I started running sort of coincidentally at the same time, there was a movement that was looking at taking in higher amounts of carbohydrates to be able to fuel this sort of activity. There was an assumption that that if you wanted to run long distances or cycle long distances or swim or whatever, that you needed to take in a lot of carbohydrate because there was an assumption that the body worked well on glucose, which is what carbohydrates convert to. Uh, and I became a pretty good runner and I became, I finished fifth in the U.S. National Championship Marathon in 1980. I finished fourth a few years later at Ironman uh, Hawaii. So I had a nice run as an endurance athlete. But over the years, as I got faster, I got less healthy. I started to notice that my health was suffering tremendously, uh, not just from overtraining, but from the diet, from the large amount of carbohydrate intake. Admittedly, not all of it was complex carbohydrates. Some of it was just simple sugars. Some of it was beer. Some of it was pasta and so on. But I developed osteoarthritis in my feet and arthritis in my hips. Uh, I had irritable bowel syndrome for most of my life. I had uh, gastroesophageal reflux, uh, you know, heart heartburn, uh, upper respiratory tract infection several times a year. I was kind of a mess. And even though I was the picture of health on the outside, I looked really fit. Uh, I was falling apart on the inside. Shortly after my major events, fifth place in the U.S. National Championship and, and later on the Ironman, I just sort of got so injured uh, and so discouraged from the training and what it was taking, all this struggling and suffering for a medal, really, or for a trophy, that I retired. And I just dedicated my life to seeing how strong and lean and fit and happy and healthy and productive I could be with the least amount of pain, suffering, sacrifice, discipline, calorie counting, portion control, and all of that stuff. So I spent uh, really since, since the early 80s, I've been investigating ways in which we can harness the power of our genes to manifest a strong, lean, fit, happy, healthy person with lifestyle choices, and a lot of those lifestyle choices have to do with the foods we choose to eat, the types of exercise we choose to do, the amount of sleep we get, the amount of sun exposure we get, the amount of play, how we work, how we sit at work. It's mind-boggling the number of different lifestyle behaviors that have an impact on gene expression. Mind-boggling and yet very empowering. So I've really dedicated just the last 10 years of my life to exploring these hidden genetic switches that we all have. And doing the research and then telling my readers on my blog, Mark's Daily Apple, and through my books, you know, how you may, might be able to manifest that healthier body or that, that more creative mind or that happier mood through these lifestyle choices. So here we are today. Yes, here we are today. And uh, you're a very, very humble person. And I don't know if you'd be the one to say this, but for my audience who largely works in the film industry and in the entertainment industry, they may not be terribly familiar with this world of like paleo and primal and all these other things. But just for my audience, basically I've got the Brad Pitt of paleo and health and all these other ancestral things that are going on. I basically have the guy. So if you're wondering why I'm so excited, just want to make my audience very aware. That's why I'm excited. So I, I know that you're a very humble down to earth person, but I wanted to make it very clear that you're the guy that people go to when it uh, comes to this stuff. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I've been, I, so, so my investigation led me down this pathway, which was to use evolution as uh, a source of clues as to how we might turn genes on or off. And I'd been a biology major in college and I'd been very interested in evolution early on in the 
when I when I got when I was in college in the '70s, and it sort of became the lens through which I viewed a lot of things uh, throughout my life. And how do we as humans uh, get to this point today? How do we eat and run and play and sleep based on behaviors of our ancestors hundreds of thousands of years ago or millions of years ago? And the paleo diet started to take really take root about 15 years ago, uh, and it looked at ways in which we could, for lack of a better term, emulate a hunter-gatherer diet in today's modern world. So the paleo diet became a way of eliminating sugars and processed grains and whole grains, for that matter, uh, industrial seed oils, and get back to a natural food way of eating based on meat, fish, fowl, eggs, nuts, seeds, vegetables, a little bit of fruit, things like that. The paleo moniker, which typically described the diet, um, I kind of co-opted and took that and, and, and adapted it to my own lifestyle and allowed a few fringe foods to be included in my particular way of eating. And then I also wanted to include exercise and sun and sleep and play. So I created a lifestyle called the Primal Blueprint. And the Primal Blueprint, again, it's kind of based on providing our genes – what they expect of us to be strong and lean and fit and happy and healthy. So the Primal Blueprint is kind of my my brand uh, that I've been espousing for the last 12 years now. And it's kind of cool because it works in athletics. It works in the business place. It works in relationships. Uh, it works in creative pursuits uh, because it's optimizing how the body does what it needs to do. It optimizes muscle tone. It optimizes fat burning. It optimizes certainly cognition and ideation and the things that those of us in the creative fields uh, want to tap into. So it, it is, in that regard, a template that kind of fits a lot of different lifestyles. Yeah. And as I had mentioned, cognition is definitely the road that I want to go down today. And what what is very, very frustrating about this entire world of nutrition and exercise science, like as soon as you dive down the rabbit hole, you just get bombarded with so much information from all sides. And kind of what I boil it down to is the argument is, well, my science is better than your science. And I just kind of want to pull my hair out. Like an example would be, and I don't want to go too deep into this, but just as an anecdote, recently the American Heart Association said, guess what? Coconut oil is bad for everybody and it always has been. And my first thought was, all right, I'm going to wait for about a week. And in my inbox, Mark is going to tell me exactly why this article is complete BS. And guess what? About seven days later, I got this giant article that was refuting all of it. And I just shared it with my entire program, everybody on my list. And I was like, all right, everybody just calm down. So you're, you're kind of the, the guy and the resource that I go to, both you and Ben Greenfield, who I've also had on the show multiple times, where when all of this political BS comes out about this science or that science, it's like, let's just everybody chill and talk about the basics. And that's really where I want to go today. This isn't going to be paleo versus vegan versus Mediterranean. What I want to talk about is kind of the bare bones information that people need to understand what choices should I make if I really want to be more creative, be more focused, and then incidentally, probably lose some weight. And the place that I want to start is help me understand what the brain actually uses for fuel and how it's a little bit different than some people might think from doing some basic reading. Oh, so there you start with a complex question right out of the blocks. Okay, great. Thanks, Zach. Absolutely. Uh, no, it's basic. No, I mean, the brain, typically most people think the brain runs largely on glucose, and it does, but the brain also can burn ketones, and ketones are something we're going to talk about a little later, uh, but they're basically the byproduct of fat metabolism in the body. And they're a much more efficient fuel than glucose. But for most people think in terms of blood glucose, blood sugar, they sort of orchestrate their daily eating schedule around not having low blood sugar. So people pay heed to that age old advice about breakfast being the most important meal of the day. And so a lot of people get up and they have orange juice and toast and cereal and, or, you know, waffles and pancakes or some high carbohydrate uh, based breakfast. They might even think they're doing themselves a huge favor by having a very healthy breakfast that might be oatmeal with, with fruit or something like that. But that's largely glucose. And sure enough, the body can take uh, those carbohydrates, convert them to glucose and use that glucose to fuel the brain. But one of the things that happens over time is that by regularly introducing significant amounts of glucose in the form of carbohydrate into the body, the body responds by trying to take that glucose and either take it out of the bloodstream and put it in the muscle cells to store it 
for fuel as fuel for later or stored in the fat cells as fuel for later. Uh, so we encounter this if we're if we're eating a lot of carbohydrates throughout the day. Typically, we'll have these swings in blood sugar where you you eat a meal, the blood sugar goes up, the pancreas is called upon to secrete insulin to sequester that glucose and and help get rid of it. Uh, and so the it a lot of times it overshoots the mark and then blood glucose drops down rapidly and we feel lightheaded or tired or woozy or just not focused. And then we're looking at the clock going, okay, when is 10 o'clock break or when is lunch? And we do it again and we have a high carbohydrate lunch or even a moderate carbohydrate lunch. Same thing. We take in this bolus of carbohydrate, converts to glucose. The brain is happy, happy, happy for about an hour. And then, then the roller coaster begins again. And now it's, it feels like nap time at 2.30 in the afternoon. I mean, when I was a carbohydrate based athlete, I took a nap just about every single day, even when I worked for somebody else in another company. Don't tell them that. So this dependency that, we, that we've fostered among all of us, uh, this dependency on carbohydrate-based meals that convert to glucose with the understanding that the brain needs glucose to, to function, and without it, we'll get woozy, lightheaded, uh, weak, lack of focus or concentration. That's been kind of the driving force in, you know, in our society for 100 years. Well, what we realize just in the last 10 or 15 years, really, that glucose isn't necessarily the preferred fuel of the human body. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, the brain does need some. There are some parts of the brain that only work on glucose, but you don't need hundreds of grams a day of glucose to fuel your brain or to fuel your muscles. That you can get by on a lot less glucose particularly if you, if you become really good at burning fat. So what I do with the Primal Blueprint is I coach people to become what we call fat-burning beasts. I coach people on becoming less dependent on carbohydrate and less dependent on regular intake of food every couple of hours and more reliant on their own stored body fat as a source of fuel. Now, the brain doesn't really burn fat, but when you can, when you can train the muscles to burn fat throughout the day, largely fat and not be so dependent on glucose or carbohydrate, it kind of saves all that glucose for the brain. So the brain doesn't, uh, it doesn't need that much glucose to get through the day. And particularly if the muscles have become great at, at burning fat, a couple of things happen. First of all, you can go long periods of time without eating because once your body's become good at burning fat, the body doesn't care whether the fat comes off a plate of bacon and avocado or off your thighs or your belly, it's all accessible fuel as far as the body's concerned. So all of us have this amazing amount of, of uh, fuel uh, stored on our body by design, by evolution, that we, could, that we should have access to on a regular basis if we become trained in the art of accessing and burning stored body fat. And in order to do that, we kind of have to go back a step and go, well, if we're going to force our body to want to burn fat, then we have to deprive it a little bit of all of this excess glucose. And so we craft an eating strategy based on a lower carbohydrate plan. Now, that doesn't mean going down to you know, zero carbs. It just means so many people uh, exist on 350 to 500 grams of carbohydrates a day. And that is just unnecessary. Some people can get away with it. Some people don't gain weight. Some people are able to function perfectly well, uh, particularly if you're an athlete, but even if you're not an athlete, I know a number of programmers and people who work in, in tech who live on pizza and Coca-Cola and, and, you know, they seem to be doing okay, but there's an insidious kind of thing happening over time where there's a, uh, the body is becoming resistant to the insulin. There's a buildup of stored body fat over time because there's always a little bit too much carbohydrate getting converted into, into fat. So if you can train your body, but by cutting back on the amount of carbohydrate uh, and becoming really good at burning fat, a couple of things happen. Number one, when you become good at burning fat, you become what we call fat adapted. Then you start to make uh, these ketone bodies. And ketones as a byproduct of fat metabolism are available for use by the brain. The brain actually prefers burning ketones over glucose. And there's a whole body of evidence that shows that uh, in some medical settings, being dependent largely on ketones for fuel is a good thing. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit further. But for, for, for right now, the issue 
that maybe most people face who are in uh, sedentary jobs where they're sitting around in front of an editing machine or at, at an editing bay or writing or, or doing creative work is not only uh, are they not moving, uh, because movement can have a lot, a lot of benefit in terms of circulation and accessing stored body fat and burning fat as, as opposed to burning glucose. Not only are they, you know, they have that, uh, that sedentary aspect of their lives, but they're caught up in this, what we call sugar burning lifestyle or sugar burning mentality, where they're continuously reliant on a fresh supply of glucose to maintain focus and, and to get, to keep the brain kind of attuned to whatever it is they're doing. Am I going off too much on a tangent here, Zach, or is, are we good? No, no, I love this. I mean, and uh, what I let me uh, kind of rein it in just a tiny bit. It's not a tangent at all. I have listened to you four hours, and I could continue to do it. But at the same time, let me kind of bring it to the, the next area that I wanted to come to. And first, as a total aside, when it comes to moving in the office versus being sedentary, my audience knows this is something I've been intensely passionate about for the last two years. And I don't know if you're aware, um, but when you had released your Don't Just Sit There program with Katie Bowman, who I am a gigantic fan of as well, I basically took the Don't Just Sit There program, I injected it with steroids, I threw gasoline on it, and I lit a match, and I created the Move Yourself program. All that was a good thing, by the way, not a bad thing, but it was basically taking this concept of trying to create a more dynamic work environment and really you know, creating an entire curriculum around it so you can build the right habits, the right lifestyles, create all the different tools and you know the environment that you need. So first, I just wanted to thank you for that, because that really was a huge catalyst for a lot of the work that I've done now. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to agree with you. I'm, you know, I'm talking to you from my stand-up desk that I've had for 10 years, uh, where I stand barefoot on a pebble mat. And, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine doing any creative work sitting down anymore. I'm, I'm really fascinated by the whole workplace and people who sit at desks uh, for long periods of time. I just, I, I can't fathom how one could do that all day long. So everybody in my office has a stand-up desk. For instance, everybody, all of my employees have a they not only have a stand-up desk, if they want one, I give them a treadmill to put under their desk as well. Yeah, and I love that, and I'm the same way, and I haven't owned a traditional desk chair for, God, I don't know, maybe eight or nine years, and I have different options. I don't stand all day. I also have like a kneeling chair. I have a mogo stool. I have a pivot stool, and all this stuff I can link to in the show notes. If you're like, wait, what is all this stuff? I have to do these searches. Everything will be in the show notes. All of this is talked about extensively in my Move Yourself program, and I can link to that as well. So I don't want to go too too far down that road, even though, like I said, I could talk to, I could do a 10 part podcast each an hour a piece. Not going to do that to you today. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the Topomat. The Topomat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Topo. That's T-O-P-O.
So I'll rein it back into the diet conversation. Where I want to go next is we're talking about this idea that we don't need as much glucose or carbohydrates, but there are really only three options. If you break down your food, it comes in macronutrients. So you have protein, carbohydrates, and fats, which means that if I'm lowering my intake of glucose and carbohydrates, either I'm eating a lot less and I'm depriving myself of calories, or I'm eating fats and protein, which for a lot of people starts to ring alarm bells. So let's talk a little bit about some of the, the myths around eating fat and eating protein and how that actually can positively affect both your physiology and your cognitive function. Sure. Well, I guess the big myth around fat is that fat is the proximate cause of heart disease. And, and certainly for the last four decades, the American Medical Association and a lot of the governmental agencies have you know, espoused this diet that was as low as possible in fat. And, uh, well, anything that's low in fat has to be of, of necessity higher in carbohydrate or, or protein. But there's a point at which you can't even get that much protein because most, in many cases, protein is attached to fat. If it's animal protein, uh, there's going to be some fat there too. So the idea that um, protein, you know, as a building block for us, uh, for humans, what is the daily protein requirement for most humans, it's not that much really. It's, it's maybe a minimum of 40, 45 grams for sedentary small people, uh, might get up into the 130, 150 gram range for large people, but it's a, a fairly narrow range of grams of, of protein. And if you were to take 150 grams, say of protein, which is a large amount of protein, that's only 600 calories in a day. And if you applied that to a large person, 600 calories in somebody who is going to be consuming 3000 calories a day, that's only 20% of that daily diet. And then if you said, well, and we're going to cut the carbs back to, okay, 150 grams of carbs, that's another 600 calories. That's 1200 calories total. You leave that leaves 1800 calories of fat, which seems like a lot of fat, but that's 60% of the diet coming from uh, fat, 60% of the calories in the diet coming from fat. And I will tell you, that's what my diet is. My diet is 60% calories from fat. Now, I don't, and j- just to go back uh, about the heart disease thing, it's been proven over the last couple of decades that it's not fat consumption, not even saturated fat consumption, by the way, that causes heart disease. It's inflammation and oxidation. Uh, there are a number of factors. Fat has been associated with heart disease, but but there's it's not the cause and it's there are so many other factors that if you get rid of those other mitigating factors, fat can be your friend. Fat can be the building block for the um, uh, cell membranes, for the sheathing around nerve cells, certainly a source of energy. You know, fat, there can be precursor to certain hormones that you could not otherwise make. So there are lots of good reasons to have fat as part of your diet. I mean, the human brain is largely made up of fat. And when we take young infants and withhold fat from them, there may be some effect on brain growth as a result of the lack of fat. So fat is fat has been proven not to be not only not to be the bad guy but but the good guy in a lot of cases here. So I'm very certain that my diet which is again 55 to 60% of the calories come from fat and they're healthy fats by the way. Look, you can find unhealthy fats, certainly trans fats, not good. Stay away from them. Some of the industrial seed oils, corn oil, uh, soybean oil, Canola oil, stay away from them. They are. But, but wait, hold on a second. Canola oil and soybean oil aren't those like the staple of the healthiest, lowest fat diet you can get? <laughs> I hope not. They are in what we call industrial seed oils, uh, highly processed, typically partially hydrogenated. Certainly, when they're included in processed foods, do whatever you can to stay away from soybean oil. And yet, obviously, a large amount of our agriculture has been allocated to growing soy and processing soybean oil. You know, I make a, I, I have a food company and, and uh, one of the products I make is a mayonnaise that's made with avocado oil, which is probably the healthiest of all the oils you can make. And uh, people say, well, why don't you like cut it in half and use some canola or some soy and some avocado oil? And, uh, you know, I don't want to make those compromises. And yet the, the avocado oil costs 40 times as much as the uh, soybean oil. So it's, um, there's a reason for that because it's uh, the way the, the oil is processed and it seems like all the good stuff is, it tends to be a little bit more expensive. I don't know if you found that in your, uh, in, yes. your in your life, but that's, you, that's the way you it goes. Absolutely, 
you definitely have to allocate just a little bit more in your budget if you decide you really want to go down this road and eat right. But when right, it comes right. to like, for example, the mayonnaise debate, if you had said, I'm in a 50-50 between canola oil and avocado oil, you lose a customer right here because I cut out all mayonnaise, but your mayonnaise is just, it's like crack cocaine. It is the best mayonnaise I have ever had. I make sure that I have at least three of them stocked up in the pantry. My kids absolutely love it. And it's now a, a staple in my diet, even though it's a little bit pricier than the others. But it's the first time I've ever looked at the ingredients on a mayonnaise and said, oh my God, I can actually eat this. And that includes vegan mayonnaise because vegan mayonnaise is nothing but processed oils. It's horrible stuff. No, exactly. So I, again, um, another tangent there, but the idea that that fat was somehow um, we was to be avoided at all costs isn't accurate. There are some fats that I would suggest you want to include at almost at all costs. You want to get the, the healthiest, most nutrient dense source of calories possible. So if we say, okay, we're going to limit our, our protein intake to anywhere from 45 or 50 up to 125 to 150 grams a day. And if we're going to reduce our carbohydrate intake, does that mean we have to eat like a lot, a lot, a lot of fat? The, the answer is no, not necessarily. One of the things that happens when you become good at burning fat, when you become adept at increasing your insulin sensitivity, you, you become so good at, at accessing calories, you become efficient at burning calories, you find you don't need as many calories a day to have all the energy you want to maintain muscle mass, to never get sick, and most importantly, to not get hungry. I mean, if you get hungry, this whole thing falls apart. So one of the strategies and skills that we teach with the Primal Blueprint is ways in which to put together an eating plan that allows you to eat when you're hungry stop eating when you're no longer hungry, not be so beholden to regular meal times and kind of eat intuitively based on, you know, what you feel is an appropriate amount of calories to take in. And I got to tell you that since I've been doing this for the last 10 years, I eat probably 40%, 40% fewer calories now than I did at the same weight 10 or 12 years ago. It's just mind boggling how efficient the body becomes at extracting energy from quality food. Now, Zach, you might go, well, wait a minute, Mark. Don't I want to have a fast metabolism? Don't I want to be able to eat as much as I possibly can as long as I don't gain weight? And I go, well, no, not really. Why would you even, why would you say that? And yet that's how most people look at life. It's like, and I know you know people like this. It's like, okay, what's the, what's the most amount of food I can eat and not gain weight, right? I mean, it's like, what can I get away with? How much of that dessert can I eat and not gain weight or not feel like crap later on? And it's a bizarre way of living your life, I think. It's, it's, um, it's a gluttonous way, and it's based on, I don't know what, it's, it's tapping into the hardwiring that human brains have, where for millions of years, there was no food, and so whenever you came across a big stash of food, you ate as much as you could, knowing that you know your body would have access to stored body fat and you could go days without eating if you had to. But now we have every, every single meal, we have probably more food than we could ever consume. So I looked at this a couple of years ago and I thought, well, wait a minute, that's just a bizarre way to look at life. In fact, I, you know, I have a lot of athlete friends who do triathlons and, and marathons and century rides on bikes. And I go, well, why do you train so much? Why are you doing that? Um, no offense. You're not very good at it. You're not very fast. Why are you doing it? It's not fun. And the answer is typically because I love to eat. And I'm like, wait a minute. You'd rather struggle and suffer and sweat and, and manage pain uh, running 10 miles a day or riding 50 miles a day just so you can have a few more bites of something you probably shouldn't have in the first place? That's why you're doing all this. It's just, you see how bizarre that is? What a weird way that is to, to kind of live your life. First of all, I completely agree with that. And that was kind of a, a way that I looked at things years and years ago when I was really into doing like the P90X series, which actually I believe is the first time I ever saw you because you make an appearance in oh, all the yes. promo videos for the very first P90X series. And I'm actually going to have Tony Horton on the show again. Um, but anyway, um, that's kind of what it was. Is I just need to push for 90 minutes a day, but man, then I can have that performance shake afterwards, which has so much sugar and it tastes so good. And it gave me I'm, validity. I'm almost, I'm almost embarrassed about that performance. Shake. Yeah. I, well, I, I wasn't going to ask you about that, but I remember you yeah. endorsing that. And I saw it years later. I designed like, it. 
I designed it. I it remember. A, and I, it I was remember. an awesome shake. Let me tell you. But it oh was an God. awesome shake. Stuff it was, was so an awesome good. shake. Baked. It was based on the fact that you were going to go hit it hard again tomorrow. So the the idea behind that shake, back before the primal blueprint technology and before all we knew everything that we know today about fat burning and, and all this, it was it was based on that old assumption that well, I if I'm going to work really really hard on my P90X, I have to refill my glycogen stores immediately right after the workout so I can do it again tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. And uh, w- like the, the way that I want to equate that to my audience is when you're talking about endurance athletes saying, well, you know, I, I love eating pizza, so I'm going to train for marathons even though I hate running. Like, okay, well, that's kind of nuts. Yeah. In my industry, people are saying, well, I just, I need that extra three or four hours because I got a deadline to meet or I have all these ideas and I just, you know, they, they told me I can go home at eight, but I just, I got to get this stuff out of my head. I'm going to take an extra two hours. So that means I just need one extra extra Red Bull or, you know, an extra coffee. Like, I don't think I've ever worked in an office where there isn't somebody that knocks on my door at four o'clock every day saying, hey, man, um, I'm going to do a Starbucks run for the office. What do you want me to put on the list for you? And I've (laughs) never once jumped on the Starbucks run, but I can set my clock to it at every job that I go to. So it's the same thing where, well, I just needed to kind of to keep me alive and fuel that creativity. And it's, it's the sugar. It's the like, I can't work without a can of Coke. It's like, you can, but it's the dependency on it that's actually not allowing you to access your true potential as far as your cognition is concerned, which is why I wanted to talk specifically about the right foods that will do that. So back to back to that, back to the right foods. You know, if you can cut back on sugar, uh, because sugar has that immediate short-term effect of, r- of raising blood glucose, but then the immediate roller coaster effect of causing a surge in insulin, which then sucks all the glucose out of the bloodstream. If you can get rid of some of those industrial seed oils that are being incorporated into your cell membranes in a way that makes you resistant to insulin, they actually compromise the integrity of those cell membranes. If you can get rid of those grain products, not just the processed grains, now I'm talking about for the most part, the whole grains as well, uh, because a, they convert into glucose pretty quickly in the in the body. Uh, B, many of them, particularly the wheat-based products, can have a, a negative impact on how your gut absorbs nutrients. And in fact, how your gut might absorb large undigested molecules because it's what we call leaky. Some of these grain-based products have an effect on the lining of the intestine that allow for what we call a leaky gut, which can sometimes lead to autoimmune issues. So if you can eliminate a lot of those foods and focus on vegetables and meats and chicken and fish and and, uh, maybe a little bit of um, uh, fruit now and then, then over time, you develop this ability, as I say, to become better at accessing stored body fat. Uh, You start to repair some of the damage that might have happened in your gut over time. We could do a whole podcast on the gut biome and the 100 trillion or so organisms that live in your gut and dictate a lot of what happens in terms of your health based on their own health, whether they're predominantly healthy bacteria or unhealthy bacteria living in your gut. A lot of that is determined by the choices of food that you eat. Uh, And again, it all goes back to what does my body expect? What do my genes expect based on my evolution? And they expect green leafy vegetables, uh, you know, a few starchy tubers here and there, uh, clean sources of protein, healthy fats. The things that I think most of your listeners probably know they need to eat, uh, but probably haven't really developed an understanding of why it's, it's so important to not only eat these types of foods, but eliminate the other types of foods. In fact, you know, eliminating the other types of food is probably the most important part of this whole concept. That's why when people compare a vegan diet and a vegetarian diet and a paleo diet and a low-carb diet and a low-fat diet, the reason everybody will say, wait a minute, my diet's good because this is what happens and here's the results I got and, and everybody's claiming they got great results in these diets. Well, the main reason they're getting the results is from the stuff they're not eating as a result of those diets, not so much from what they're eating, but it's what they've eliminated. And for the most part in all these diets, most of them have eliminated a lot of the processed nasty foods. Yeah, I think that's such a great way to classify that and why I didn't want to go down the diet road. And I never talk about specific diets, but I always let people know when they come to me, there are foods you just shouldn't be eating. Now, I know that when uh, you were kind of talking about, well, leaky gut and um, autoimmune issues and all these things that can happen when you eat these foods, the me of five years ago would have been like, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I'm going to deal with all that when I'm older. Right now, I just need to get stuff done. The key for me where the switch really went off and I was like, I need to pay attention to this immediately is that when you eat a lot of those foods, especially sugar, caffeinated beverages, all these other things, yes, they have a lot of long-term effects. But the big word that I think is probably the number one word that changed my outlook on diet was inflammation. And inflammation is what was causing drowsiness, brain fog, inability to focus, inability to create, you know, creative thoughts, because I've been very open with my audience that I deal with attention issues. I've dealt with anxiety. I've dealt with major depression more than once. And the way that I kind of see it is I think of those as kind of like this, this pool of gasoline, which when it's just sitting somewhere by itself, it's not doing any damage. As soon as I take these highly inflammatory foods like sugar and all these other things we've talked about, it's like throwing a match on that fire and all of it is exacerbated, but not five years down the road. It's like now, and it really affects my productivity that same day. That was the switch that made the huge difference for me. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people um, go through their lives not really feeling uncomfortable or not really feeling pain, even though there's a tremendous amount of inflammation going on inside them. I mean, the body has this protective mechanism that wants you to, to not feel pain so much if it's going to be chronic, if it's acute, if it's acute pain, sure. Let's, you know, take our hand off the burner right away. You know, let's start limping. If we've uh, twisted an ankle or something like that, that's acute pain. And, and that has, uh, certainly some, some benefit, but once you've entered this realm of systemic inflammation where you're consuming foods that are literally turning on genes in your body to cause you to go into a state of inflammation because your body thinks that the signals provided by the foods are in, in indicative of you requiring an inflamed state. So it's kind of weird how this works, but Genes respond to signals that we give them. And some genes in the body respond to signals by creating inflammation to save us from an infection or to save us or localized stuff. If, again, if we turn an ankle or something like that, the, the inflammation there causes swelling so that the, 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 the ankle is immobilized and we can't, we can't walk on it if we try. And the whole process of white blood cells invading and starting to, to clean up damage and, and do the triage and get ready to repair it. All that stuff is great. All that stuff is hardwired into our genetics. That's a great application of inflammation in an acute stage. But when you have chronic inflammation and systemic inflammation throughout the body, something you consumed now is in your bloodstream and causing your immune system in your bloodstream to take action and start to create this inflammatory response, which then manifests itself in a number of different ways. In my case, uh, it manifested itself in arthritis in my fingers. So I'm in my, I was in my early forties and I would cringe if somebody, you know, some guy went to shake hands with me and I was going to, in my mind, I'm going, oh shit, I hope he doesn't squeeze my hand too hard because I won't be able to take the pain. I mean, I had, I had arthritis to the touch in my hands to the extent that I couldn't even grip a golf club uh, appropriately. That's not the reason my golf game sucks, by the way, but, but, that, but that was one of the excuses that I used. When I got rid of grains, all that stuff went away. The arthritis that I thought was a normal part of being in my early 40s, went away. By the way, the, the irritable bowel syndrome I had my whole life, that went away. The heartburn, that went away. I got sick less often. It was transformative, just giving up grains because the grains were pro-inflammatory, were highly pro-inflammatory to me. I had leaky gut. I had this irritable bowel syndrome. I had this uh, systemic inflammation that was, again, manifesting itself in an arthritis-like condition in my fingers and my feet. And that's happening to tens of millions of people around the country. And sometimes they don't even know it. It, it might show up as a little bit of swelling or edema. Like, okay, well, I got this 15 pounds of water weight that I can't seem to lose. Well, that's because you have systemic inflammation. And if you get rid of the offending ingredients in your diet, that will go away <laughs> in days. I mean, I used to marvel at how horrendous uh, The Biggest Loser was as a TV show. But one of the things that would happen early on in the first week or two, you know, you'd have these 300 pound, 350 pound people who would lose 29 pounds the first week, right? And you go, well, wait a minute, you can't lose 25 pounds of 
fat. That's just physically impossible. No, because they would transform their diet and get rid of all the crap that they were eating that were causing that was causing systemic inflammation, they would lose 25 pounds of water the first week as the inflammation, as that systemic inflammation went down and subsided. That's how powerful this whole concept of inflammation is and how many people are walking around with uh, added weight as a result of that with pain that they may or may not recognize to be, you know, an arthritis-like condition. And then we can talk about, you know, polycystic ovarian syndrome and, and, and bronchitis and a number of manifestations that people have, even things like uh, certain allergies and asthma uh, related to the foods they're eating, not related to being dealt a bad hand genetically. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat, and I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Well, and I think it's also important to mention that it really contributes just to this feeling of chronic fatigue, having issues sleeping. Like when people are working 16 hours a day in front of a computer, they have directors and producers that are pushing them and giving them all these directives and, oh, we have to hit this deadline. Like that takes a lot out of your brain. But if you're constantly at low levels of inflammation, you're just always feeling tired and you just feel like, oh my God, this is such a long day and I can barely keep my eyes open. And yeah, the Red Bull will get you going for an hour or two, but then at the end of the day, you can't fall asleep and your mind is spinning and racing and you just, it's, it's so hard to you just ride that wave all the time. And that's one of the things I love about your program. And also the things I've been reading about the keto diet is the sense that you know, you have this sustained, calm energy. And as soon as I saw that, I'm like, yes, I need to learn more about how to do that. Yeah. So once you become good at burning fat and once you've become accustomed to, to eating on a schedule that pays closer attention to whether or not you're hungry, like I get up in the morning and I'm not hungry. I'll have a cup of coffee, but I, but I don't eat till 1230 or 1:30. And I, in that period of time between when I wake up at 6.30 and I finally have lunch at 12.30 or 1 or 1.30, I will do a hard workout. I will get a lot of work done. You know, I'm basically in a fasted state, but I'm so good at burning fat and I'm so good at making ketones that my brain is perfectly fine uh, without eating. And then when hunger finally ensues naturally, uh, 12.30 or 1, like I say, sometimes later, I'll have something to eat. And it won't be much. It'll be, you know, a salad with some meat on it or something like that. That's sort of the level one skill that, that everyone who gets good at the Primal Blueprint is able to do. But where it gets really interesting is when you start to go, okay, let, let's explore this whole ketogenic aspect of eating a little bit further. Let's see what – if we can build a metabolic machinery uh, in my muscles and in my brain – to be able to use ketones so efficiently that I can go long periods, I can go 36 hours without eating and actually have more energy as a result of forcing my body into a state where it's taking my own stored body fat, converting some of that fat into energy, converting some other of that fat into ketones to fuel my brain uh, and giving me 
the, the type of energy that is uh, palatable, that feels solid and, ste- and steady state, that isn't in a roller coaster uh, situation, and that doesn't require central nervous stimulation the way a Red Bull or a coffee or something like that would. And it's amazing. It's just, you know, I, I've been writing about it and, and researching the ketogenic diet for the last 15 years. And, uh, but I, I, I wasn't interested in it because I like, I like different types of food too much, right? And I didn't want to go down to 20 or 30 grams of carbs a day. But I'm writing this book, The Keto Reset Diet. And the whole purpose of The Keto Reset Diet is – how do I reset my metabolism so I become more efficient at everything? How do I become more metabolically flexible? Uh, and so within the Keto Reset Diet, we say, you know, we, we guide you very uh, gently through a process of getting to where you're no longer dependent on carbohydrates. And then once you've gone through a self-test, uh, a six-week ketogenic uh, foray, if you will, where you've, you're upregulating those enzyme systems that are involved in burning fat and burning ketones. You're building the metabolic machinery. Uh, you're increasing the number, the number of mitochondria. We call it mitochondrial biogenesis. And all of these effects that take place, they ratchet up your metabolic efficiency a notch so that even when you get out of ketosis and you go back to your regular low-carb way of eating, you're more efficient. You're better balanced. You have more energy. But I spent – my first time I spent three months in ketosis. And I thought, well, geez, Mark, you know, I, I work pretty hard for my muscle mass. If I cut back on my calories and cut back on my protein a little bit that much and, and cut back on the carbs, I don't want to lose the muscle mass. Dude, I gained a pound of muscle and I lost five pounds of fat. It was unbelievable because one of the things that happens in ketosis is ketone bodies turn on certain genes that cause your body to not only spare protein – and spare muscle tissue and spare protein, but they cause this whole recycling system of amino acids where you don't actually need to take in that much protein to, to, to build upon the muscle that you have. It's, it's crazy. And it's, uh, again, it was like really eye-opening and um, it's something I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. Well, and one of the things in kind of the, the biggest catalyst for me realizing that there was something to this whole idea that, oh, wow, eating fat actually isn't the enemy because I was living off the standard American diet for most of my life. And by the time I was in my mid to late 20s, I was, you know, my lipid panels were a mess and I was dealing with depression and anxiety and all this stuff. I'm like, what is going on? And I remember the first time that I heard about this idea that fat wasn't so awful it was on uh, Dave Asprey's podcast. He's the Bulletproof guy, if anybody that isn't familiar with Dave Asprey. And listening to what you're saying, I might be thinking like the fi- the version of me from five years ago might be thinking that all sounds great, but if it takes me three months to even notice any of this, there's just no way it's going to happen. What I discovered was I had tried his brain octane oil, which is an MCT oil, a medium chain triglyceride, which basically allows you to burn ketones directly. It's almost like drinking ketones, if I understand correctly. And within about half an hour to an hour, it's like the switch was turned on in my brain, and I said oh my God, what is going on with my brain right now? I am so alert. I am so focused and so creative. Those are the kinds of effects that you get when you start to get rid of the inflammation and you allow your brain to burn ketones. Is that kind of a, would that be a fairly good assessment? Yeah, it's a very good assessment. And, and MCT oil is kind of a shortcut to accessing those ketones. Um, the thing that, that um, and again, it's not good or bad or right or wrong, but I would suggest that if you want to, optimize your body composition, that you would get into ketosis more without using the supplements, I guess would be the best. Not that MCT oil is necessarily a supplement. It's it, People put it in their coffee and it's a great way to get, you know, to get the day started. But when you become good at making ketones yourself, you're doing that by using your own stored body fat. And when you use your own stored body fat, you trend toward your ideal body composition. You actually lose body fat. You maintain muscle mass. Uh, and you have a lot of these, and, and we haven't even talked about the supposed purported anti-aging benefits of what happens when you're in ketosis. One of the switches that gets turned on is this this self-preservation switch where the body is directed to look at knowing that it's not going to be getting external sources of fuel from carbohydrate or from protein or from you know anything in particular. The body looks to recycle some of the damaged proteins and damaged fats within the cells. And it's a very efficient way of cleaning house. So one of the things that happens as a result of 
being in ketosis is you go undergo this this house cleaning thing where your cells start to repair damaged DNA. They start to consume, uh, it's called autophagy, but they start to consume damaged proteins and damaged fats within the cell and clean house that way and use those for energy. So it's a, it's a, there's a strong anti-aging component to this ketogenic diet. Well, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about this part because you're definitely the expert and I'm not, but my understanding is that there are numerous scientific studies that have come out basically showing that the less general caloric intake you have over your lifetime, the longer your lifespan, and it really has nothing to do with what types of calories, just the more that you eat, the less that you're going to live. Is that correct? So yeah, loaded statement, here's why. In a lot of animal studies, that's been proven to be highly demonstrated in animal studies. Not so much in humans yet, but this just because we haven't had, you know, with, in, a, in a mouse study, you can, you know, in, in a year and a half or two years or three years, you can get all the data you need because if, they, if, they, if their lives extended 20 or 30%, it's just a couple of months in some cases, or in C. elegans worms and things like that. But when you start to look at a human study to say, okay, you're going to eat 900 calories a day for 25 years, and then we're going to see what happens. You're not going to get a lot of compliance there. So the, but the theory is certainly relevant. And the theory is what I'm basing all of what I do on, which is, yeah, if I can, if I can live my life, maintain muscle mass, look great naked, have all the energy I want, not get sick and never be hungry on 40% fewer calories than I used to eat, I guarantee you a lot's going on in a positive way. I'm not producing as much insulin. My thyroid hormones are probably better balanced. My metabolism is actually slower, and that's a good thing. If you want to live longer, you want a slow metabolism. There's a – again, we get back to that, well, wait a minute. I thought I wanted a high metabolism because I want to rev, 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 and I want to burn off calories. Well, that's only because you claim you like to eat and you want this throughput and you want to be able to gorge yourself at every meal. But if you take a step back and go, well, what's the most efficient way to live my life? Um, it's with the least amount of – calories possible, but again, but not getting hungry because with hunger, all this stuff goes out the window. And that's the, again, the, the major benefit and beauty of the ketogenic diet is like, I have a friend who's been ketogenic for four and a half years, five years. And he tells me, he goes, and he's got, you know, he works out in the gym and he's strong and he's lean and he's fit. And he runs a very successful business and he eats once a day, he eats dinner. And I go, well, uh, Todd, I mean, that's crazy, man. I, you eat once a day? And he says, yeah, and I have to be mindful of what I eat. And I go, well, sure, I, I can imagine. You have to be mindful so you don't overeat, right? He goes, no, I have to be mindful to eat enough because hunger doesn't dictate my life anymore. And there are times when I could just go, you know, I probably should eat a little bit more. I'm not that, I'm not that hungry. Uh, the food is great, by the way. It's, you know, he eats nothing but awesome food. Um, that's one of the, you know, if you look at, ketogenic diet cookbooks, they are filled with fat bombs and, you know, meat dishes and all, all the stuff that you thought 30 years ago would kill you and give you, you know, heart disease. And now they're almost the opposite. They're going to, you know, make you the healthiest uh, human possible. But it's interesting to, to, because hunger is so mitigated when you become good at burning fat and you become good at using ketones that it no longer runs your life. You no longer, you know, get up from lunch and go, hmm, I wonder what's for dinner, right? I mean, and yet how many friends do you have, people you know, who that's kind of how they, they live their lives a little bit from one meal to the next, right? Oh yeah, I mean, in my industry, I've actually been at a table like where we have four or five people where they're having lunch and they're already talking about where are we gonna be ordering from tonight? And I'm thinking, you guys are eating lunch right now and you're already talking about what you're having for dinner. Like there's a disconnect there. And that's a very, very common thing. I've seen it more than one job. So food is a huge conversation. And one of the things that I've done, and it kind of drives some of my uh, producers and my, uh, you know, superiors nuts is they will oftentimes offer free takeout every single day to the department, essentially because it keeps us in front of our desks. Everybody thinks it's like this nice gesture. And I'm like, no, it's just because they don't want us to go anywhere or get outside and they want us working all the time. But I will say, listen, I don't want to eat takeout every day. However, because everybody on the list of, uh, you know, our, our office list is getting all these meals is getting comped. I would like to be able to get reimbursed for food that I bring in that's healthier. 
And I almost always win that battle, but it's always a battle. And I always have to be the outlier. But then everybody's wondering why I'm going home earlier, why I'm getting more done, getting it done faster, why I don't need the Starbucks run. It's because I've made the food that I eat as a fuel, a creative fuel, a priority for me. I, you know, your industry, I have to, I have to chuckle because I used to be on the talent side of it, craft services, right? I mean, it's like, Oh my God, you bring in donuts and coffee and cakes and bread and all of this. I mean, it's getting better, but, but for the longest time, it was like, seriously, we're going to, we're going to do an 18 hour shoot based on, on just refilling sugar every break. And yet that was the assumption for the longest time. Yeah. And that's the way that it works at every job that I go to where they say, Oh, Hey, we're going to be doing a, you know, a crafty run. You want to give me a list of stuff? And I'm like, yeah, I would, but you're probably not going to know what most of it is anyway. So I'll just take care of it. And then they come back with Oreos and mocha Oreos and red velvet Oreos and mini (laughs) Twix bars. And I'm like, how does anybody function? And let me be very clear with my audience. I am a sugar holic. I grew up having fruity pebbles for dinner. So I'm not like some, you know, virtuous guy standing on this pedestal saying, you shouldn't be eating bad. It took me years to get off this stuff. And it's still a struggle that I have every day. But once I found the immediate cognitive effects that I got by avoiding these foods, I said, I don't have to have willpower to avoid the box of donuts every Friday morning because I know I want to accomplish something. So I'm actually afraid of the box of donuts. Yeah. And you should be. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, I, we could go on forever, but I want to be incredibly respectful of your time. So if you just want to take the last few minutes and really kind of give the formal pitch for the Keto Reset, how the, the program works, your new book coming out, I want to make sure you have the opportunity to be very clear about uh, this this latest project that you have. Yeah, sure. So the Keto Reset Diet, is uh, it comes out October 3rd. You can pre-order it on uh, Amazon and Books a Million and Barnes and Noble and all the standard places. Uh, it's basically uh, based on my understanding that uh, ketogenic diets can be used as a tool in your arsenal to improve your lifestyle, to improve your energy levels, to improve your muscle mass, uh, to ratchet your metabolism up to the point where you can become more, what we call more metabolically efficient. You don't gain weight or gain body fat as easily. You become you are able to unburden yourself of having to eat every you know three meals a day or plus snacks. Um, there's all of these amazing benefits that come from spending a little bit of time in ketosis. And for anybody who's interested in improving their their mental ability, agility, capacity, imp- who are interested in improving their um, endurance capacity, if you're an athlete. Your ability to burn fat and access your stored body fat and burn ketones in the brain, it's its transformative. And I think once you try it, you'll love it. Now, whether or not you – does that mean you have to spend the rest of your life in ketosis? No. Any amount of time you spend in ketosis if, when done the right way creates an improvement in your body that will last months or years into the future. So you can – like I'm, you know, I'm, t- I'm telling people maybe six weeks once a year, get into ketosis, do the house cleaning. The same way people might – undergo a, or undertake a, you know, a cleanse on a regular basis. There are all these cleanse programs out there and cleanse products, but this is, this is sort of cutting edge science. And there's a lot of information out there about ketogenic diets that I'm not real thrilled about. I think they're, um, they're harsh. They're tough to get into. We literally hold your hand and guide you gently through the process. And I think you'll love it. Yeah. And I, I love the idea that it's gently, I was reading through some of the information that you sent and it really isn't, you do this for 21 days. And if you miss day 12 in the afternoon, you failed. It's yeah, more just, exactly. just start over. Just, yeah. Just get this far. Did you reach <laughs> yeah. your benchmark? Great. Did yeah. it take you a little bit longer? No problem. Now let's move forward from this point. That's exactly the way that I like to teach where it's not about checking off all the X's on this calendar. And if you miss one X, you're a bad person at start from zero. It's just about long-term lifestyle change, making these tweaks, and I'm going to walk you through how to do it. So that's why I've always gravitated to the work that you do. Um, And I really, really appreciate that you do things that way. Well, that having been said, um, if there's one link that I could send everybody to to learn about you, find more information about the book, about the kitchen, like I could send them to 47 different links. But if I gave people one link, where do I send them? Um, Send them to um, primalblueprint.com. That's the that's the e-commerce site. They'll they'll be able to get the book there and some of the other programs and see some of our our product groupings and things like that. Otherwise, you know, the blog is Mark's Daily Apple, and that's that's a compendium of information, uh, four thousand articles over the last twelve years. Yeah, you're 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 quite the productive individual. 
So, and if anybody has any doubts about what you look like, the, uh, you know, the age in your mid sixties, just go to the homepage and be like, Oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. Uh, right. Um, so anyway, thank you so much for your time. I very, very much appreciate it. My pleasure, Zach. Take care. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.